Welcome everyone to the Milky It Podcast, the podcast that tugs the teeth of popular culture until it explodes all over your face. As always, I'm David Davis and... Sadly, I'm on my own this week, uh, due to, as we always say, life getting in the way. But, that may be advantageous, uh, due to our last episode, episode 32. Can you imagine episode 32 was, as they say, a runaway success? Uh, mainly due, let's give him credit, uh, to Jay's YouTube hero segment that he did, um, which brought in a low, literal boatload of new listeners. Uh, so to them, welcome, hello, uh, as I say, I'm David, Boo's not here this week, he will be back next week, as usual. Um, so... Welcome to them, and you guys and girls can now catch up with what we've been doing for the past year. Um, I thought it would be good now, this week, to do a very, very quick uh, sort of clip together, uh, a little good old best of. Um, a walk down memory lane for those uh, who've listened to us since the start, but a new listeners start here moment for those who've just discovered this glorious geeky haven. Um, so enjoy this uh, collection of clips, uh, mainly going to be sort of the top fives. Uh, we've talked about music, we've talked about our favourite wrestling matches, we've talked about our favourite sort of zombie films and this, that, you know. So I'm going to pull together some bits and pieces from those. Um, as always, uh, just a bit of uh, housekeeping first, uh, you can dive sh- headfirst into the all-natural geek yoghurt via the milkingitpodcast.com. That's milkingitpodcast.com, where you'll find all the nerdy news and banter, plus a link to the all-important Milking It merch. So if you want to get your hands on a Milking It t-shirt, as uh, sported by myself and Boo in various pictures and a load of listeners who've actually bought them thank you very much, we're very grateful um, plus if you fancy seeing what uh, Mr Boo Mr Dino and I look like and God knows it's a Victorian freak show of a collective a true penny dreadful then head over to the Nottingham Comic Con on the 4th of October uh, we will be chit-chatting to all the guests and visitors plus recording the first ever live face-to-face Milking It episode so very very exciting so get to the uh, Nottingham comiccon.co.uk that's nottinghamcomiccon.co.uk you can get your tickets come over there's live music there's like 150 exhibitors loads of special guests if you're into your comics you're into your nerd culture then that's the place to be like I say on Saturday the 4th of October um, so as I say these snippets are uh, for you to enjoy join us again next week when we will have news on Deadpool the movie announced today very exciting we'll talk about Tusk we'll talk about Batman as always there'll be some news on WWE 2K15 and Dave's frustration at the uh, delay of that um, plus info of the, um, the well of a review I would imagine by that point of the much talked about Gotham episode one can you imagine it's finally here we're finally going to get hold of it we'll be discussing it on the very next Milking It podcast where Boo and I are back together like that team that we absolutely adore um, so in the meantime enjoy this bye got the Back on episode 20, we had a discussion about the top five songs you need to listen to. So not necessarily the best thing, but he'll explain it in a second, that other day of what happened ages ago. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. 
Getting to like you Getting to hope you like me Hey, Milksters, it's Dave, and let's get ready for my top five songs that you need to listen to. Yay! Right, okay, kids. Right, no, 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 cut it, cut it, cut it. Let's, let's not do podcast, Dave. Let's just do normal Dave. Um... I asked uh, all the guys who are involved in the podcast to do their top five songs that they would like people to listen to. Um, it's not so much um, the, the most commercial songs or the songs that you think will make you seem a bit cool and emo, yeah. These are songs that genuinely, if I could say, right, you, do you want five songs to listen to on the way to work? Uh, th- these are the reasons why I want you to listen to these five. Um, Dino's done them, Jay's done them, we've got booze as well, um, and these are mine starting this off um it's a little segment that i call getting to know you that's why we have that ridiculous jingle at the start of it yeah so i'm going to strip it down um we're going to get rid of the music i'm in front of the microphone and and i'm just going to literally talk you through and give you a little uh, little snippet of uh, some of the songs that i really love um the first one at number five is uh tinder sticks um tinder sticks are a band which are traditionally sort of emotastic in terms of uh arty people who grew up around the same sort of time that i did and everyone was oh yeah we're yeah we're really into tinder sticks man yeah well oh, we really love it but th- th- i'm i really wasn't th- there was a lot of stuff they did which was absolutely dreadful dirgy awful and just pointless art student pap um for me uh, tinder sticks uh d- d- peaked with this particular song um the song is called travel light um the reason which seems quite dark that i'm including it now is because i have always said ever since i heard it in 1995 that this is the song i won't play it at my funeral tinder sticks travel light there's a crack in the road where the rain falls That's the place you always decide to sit Here I know I'm there for hours The water running down my face Do you really think you keep it all that well here? No but a travel light At number four, um... As you all know, I have a sense of humour. I must do to put up with Boo every week. Um, but <laughs> I've uh, I've chosen uh, Hasadiga Ibuwe from the Book of Mormon. We've we've already discussed how much of a sort of South Park fan I am, and how much I I enjoy the, the comedy of, of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. But um, this tops everything they've done in South Park for me. I've not yet got to see the live show. I'm, I'm obviously I'm not in London anymore, so I have to wait till it comes out to Birmingham. Uh, so yes, uh, number four for me. I cannot wait to see this live on stage. Is Hassidy get away or as they say, fuck you, God. At number three, I'm going to choose The Cure, cut here. 
Uh, that's probably as emo as I get. <laughs> but I am, uh, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of The Cure, but this particular song means a hell of a lot to me. Uh, it has a lot to do with my past, and uh, it always reminds me of good times. So if you haven't heard any of Robert Smith's stuff, then this is the song to start with. Oh, come on, have a drink with me. Sit down and talk a while. Oh, I wish I could... My number two uh, is a Morrissey song. Um, <laughs> most people that know me will know that I am a massive Morrissey fan. I think I've done very well in the uh, 20-odd episodes that we've done of the Milking It podcast not to wax lyrical about Morrissey uh, every time, which is probably why we avoid music generally. Um, I am a huge, huge, huge Morrissey fan, and it was very difficult not to make this a top five Morrissey records, which would have been uh, very simple to do. However, I am going to insert one into my top five uh, of recommended things that you should listen to, uh, and that's a track called The Youngest Was The Most Loved. Uh, entirely because it includes a mantra that I live by every single day, which sounds precocious and pretentious and it probably is uh but I, I i genuinely do it's that there is no such thing in life as normal and that's the lyric that's what i maintain that's the tattoo i intend to get uh morrissey without a doubt my favorite artist of all time um if you're going to start anywhere start here kids there is no such thing in life as normal my number one choice uh, is a, a comedy song of sorts. Uh, it's by a comedian, Tim Minchin, who I was introduced to while I worked for HMV back in the day, um, when I first met Booley. In fact, uh, I, I went to my first manager's conference, we were given a free DVD, and that free DVD was of an, an artist that they said, oh, he's going to be big, he's going to do huge things. Uh, uh, here, have a sample. Went home, popped it in, didn't expect anything, and was absolutely blown away. Um, without a doubt, one of the greatest living comedy artists, recorders, musicians, writers that is currently working at this time. He is the modern day Noel Coward. He's absolutely beautifully wonderful. Um, Tim Minchin generally does sort of flippant songs or does comments about politics or whatever he turns his, his, his finger to. It, it seems to work. The, the song that I've chosen is a song that means a great deal to me. It's uh, Tim Minchin's White Wine in the Sun. It, it's always meant a great deal to me. Um, you know how you have those songs that just suddenly make you cry? Well, this is one of those songs. I Even taking a clip this afternoon to put on the podcast to make you understand what I was talking about, I had to listen to the song and once again rolled a tear. And that, for me, is a wonderful song. It reminds me of my family. It reminds me of really good times. It reminds me of good times coming up. And as the sentiment is, I do indeed love Christmas, as this as this song says. Um, when I left London and I was leaving everything behind uh, and kind of starting anew just before, well, a couple of months before we started the Milking podcast, um, I'd literally packed up the whole contents of my flat, slammed it in a van, including my wonderful cat, uh, the van disappeared at the motorway and I went to get the train uh, to come back to home, as it were, back to the Midlands. Um, 
didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a job, didn't have any future, didn't have any idea where we were going with things. And um, stepped on the train, put my headphones on, a tear in my eye anyway, because I was I was pulling out of Houston Station and this song came on um, and absolutely touched my heart. And it will always be my absolute favourite song of all time. So if you have any chance to listen to it, uh, please do check it out on iTunes. Uh, look at his back catalogue as well, because he's done some amazing things. But Tim Minchin is my number one. I'll be seeing my dad, my brother and sisters, my grand and my mom. They'll be drinking white wine in the sun. And you, my baby girl, my jet lagged infant daughter, you'll be handed round the room like a puppy at a primary school. And you won't understand, but you will learn someday that wherever you are and whatever you face, So, thank you for indulging me. That was my getting to know me moment. So, uh, we'll crack on. Next up, friend of the show, the artist, the man who does the illustrations for our covers that you see that comes up on your Android or your iPhone or however you listen to us uh, here at the Bilking It podcast, and we're very grateful. But he's also the host of a fabulous new podcast alongside Boulamont that you might have heard us mention called The Totally Insane Tape Show. Check it out. Uh, have a look at our facebook.com forward slash milking it. has all the information that you'll need. But in the meantime, here's Dino's records that he'd like you to have a listen to. So Big Daddy Dave has challenged us again to compile a list. This time he wants everyone's top four musical track for the Milknick Podcast top 20 list of music you should be listening to. Cue music. At number four, the offspring of the 70s punk band Death with a single off their brand new debut album, Maximum Soul Power. This is Rough Francis with I-90 East. Streets into the number three slot is Daniel Homeless Mustard with the track Buy Her Best Beware. I don't mind, I don't care. Hell, it's just another cross I bear. I got mine enough to spare, and I'm sure that nothing could compare. While I'm winding through the air, just about everything I'll repair. They'll find me if you dare. But I'm beware. And at number two is a track that's been in my top ten since it was released in 2002. This is Against Me with the title track for the debut album, Reinventing Axel Rose.
number one, we have a track from the 1970 album Cold Fact by Rodriguez. This is Sugar. Sugar Man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry, jumpers, coke, sweet That's my top four. Enjoy. While the rest of us got behind the microphone, unfortunately, um, I'm sad to tell you, Jay had a terrible accident. Therefore, his part in his top five music things that he thinks you should listen to is played by my iPhone. Please, Jay, get better. One, I thought I had better go with the background music from the backstory bollocks, as it represents one of my principal contributions to the show. The Dear Departed John Barry's amazing score from Dances with Wolves. It's got a great old-time quality to it that sounds like it would be perfect during a monologue on a documentary featured the History Channel. I think Jack Black did some sketches in the mid-2000s for College Humor, where he played Benjamin Franklin and other historical figures and I think I must have picked it up from there. It works really well as background music as it maintains its level of volume throughout the duration of the recording too which is bonus pie with extra lashing of wind custard. Presenting the sticky fun thumb emporium side of things proved a bit trickier as there are so many great bits of music out there. Final Fantasy 7 and 10 are packed to the brim with emotional pieces. Classic 80s games like Strider, Zelda and DuckTales have some classic tracks, particularly when they've been updated and given a fresh lick of remix paint. Double Dragon in particularly, the Grand Theft Auto series is jam-packed full of wonderful diverse music on its playlists too. I could have been a massive troll and gone for the opening music to Manic Minor on the spectrum but ultimately I chose a stirring epic militaristic beauty that is the main theme from Metal Gear Solid 2. Sons of Liberty, it fills you with narcissistic desire to be a heroic martyr and deliberately arrange camera crews to witness you saving a kitten tied to a baby from a house fire that you caused, well it did me anyway. Police inquiries are continuing. I'm a big fan of movies but I can't fill my list with orchestral instrumentals. Now I love John Williams as much as the next man, but choosing yet another one would be the domain of the grandfathers of this world, and my testicles still hang with the tenacity of a 17-year-old scrotum, so I shall use the pop song used in a movie instead, the movie 2011's Drive, the track, Night Call by Kavinsky, London Grammar did a very good spare-sounding version of it recently, but I've gone with the mucky 80s synth and croaky robot vocals of the original. 
or his cover of Bloody Sunday by U2, which is done in a kind of Latino style. Um, but I, I seriously think that this is a really well put together cover. It's a great composition. It flows well. It goes exactly how you would be able to do a hip-hop song in this style. And I just love the big band parts in it. So um, my number four pick is Gin and Juice by Richard Cheese. Cheese up, hose down, while you motherfuckers bounce to this. Rolling down the street, smoking indo, sipping on gin and juice. Number three, I am a huge fan of this band. In fact, I do reckon that this band is, at the moment, makes the best music on the planet. Um, if you're a fan of Daft Punk, um, they're basically like a mainstream version of Chromio. Chromio, um, they're trying to bring back the goodness and, and fun of the disco and electro era, and it's all very much uh, in the same vein as the music from that era, but done with a modern twist. Excellent music, and uh, the song I've chosen is Night by Night. If you guys don't know of Chromio, I highly recommend you not only check out the song, but check out the video, whether it be on YouTube or through other means. But um, it's just, it, just, it just makes you feel good, and it makes you want to dance, and that's Night by Night. Number two, I had to have a weird pick. Obviously, I've previously chosen Richard Cheese. I'm a big comedy guy uh, myself, and my comedy partner, Mr. David Davis, uh, love a bit of comedy. Um, and that carries across into my interest in music. Number two, I, I picked a kind of hero of mine who I think he gets a lot of praise, but he doesn't. He gets praise for one thing he does, but he's not just a one-note guy. I mean, he writes his own music as well. He composes his own music, and he writes his own songs. Um, my number two choice comes from the 1998 album Poodle Hat. Um, and amongst all the covers, um, which he did do, the covers on this album uh, range from a parody of Lose Yourself by Eminem, that was Couch Potato, very famous Trash Day, which is a parody of Hot and Here by Nelly. But amongst these was the song Hardware Store, which is completely original uh, Weird Al song. It's just a song about a guy talking about his love of a hardware store and waiting for it to open. But the way that the song's been done... You truly hear how gifted Weird Al is at music and at vocalisation. And um, there's a particular part of the song which just cannot be copied. But everyone tries, even with bits of paper in front of them, and they just cannot get it in time. So I've chosen for my number two pick is The Hardware Store by Weird Al Yankovic. Number one, 
my number one pick is a bit of a mainstream choice. This band uh, is probably the band I've been into the longest in my life. Um, I was I was hugely into hip hop as a young man, and that was kind of the music that was popular when I was a teenager. Um, so I did kind of like hip hop, but I have one secret band that I loved above all other that had nothing to do with hip hop that my friends didn't like. Nobody under no one really liked the same thing as I did, and that was REM. And my first memory is when Automatic for the People came out because that was the first album of theirs I heard. And I could still sing every song on that album, every lyric to this day. But the songs I've particularly picked, I've had such a hard time picking between the two that I've had to kind of go half and half on this one. So my two favourite, the, 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 my number one songs are both by R.E.M. Um, the first one is Day Sleeper. It's just such a beautiful, ethereal song that it's, it's, just, it's near indescribable if you're listening to it when you're tired and you've had a bad day it's like a lullaby for adults it's just so beautiful and so well put together Equally, my other choice for R.E.M. is a song called Night Swimming, which was actually the last track on the album Automatic for the People. Um, I, probably a bit morbid to say. You have to be, you know, everyone says, well, you know, there's got to be a song at my funeral. It would be Night Swimming because it just conjures up images of childhood and, you know, like hanging around with your mates as a kid, the sense of being naughty and, you know, like you like climbing over the fence to get, you know, to play in the park after it's closed and stuff like that. It just brings back those breezy summer evenings and you can feel the breeze in the back of your neck and it's just it, it, when a, when a song like that can make you feel like like that you just know that not only is it a special song but they're a special band and I just love REM Night swimming deserves a quiet night I'm not sure all these people understand it's not like you So those are my picks. Uh, it's a, an eclectic mix of comedy, disco, electro, and ethereal piano beauty. I hope that you enjoy these songs, and maybe you've already heard them, but if not, I really hope that you like them and... Uh, Got to know Boulamon just a little bit better. Hello, Milksters. Your old pal and friend of the show, Mossman here, off of 80s classic cartoon, Masters of the Universe. As you can imagine, I've had a lot of time on my hands since that cartoon finished, and I've been aching to hear some quality, geeky podcast that rounds up all the news in a nice, tight package. Only thing is, we don't have iPhones. Oh, not after old King Randor fell out with Steve Jobs back in 92. Well, imagine my delight that now the Milk and Get podcast is available on Stitcher for Android users like myself. Stitcher.com has all the information. Oh, I can't wait to tell Fisto. He'll be well made up.
an ancient evil that feeds on the sick and demented, which once haunted videos that were rented, are back to turn the blood to ice of all of those who own a personal digital device. On VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray too, in your pants it may make you Therefore celebrate and rejoice Peppers and Lamont as they tell tales of films you should and should not want. The Totally Insane Tape Show is something you should not fear. Listen to it with some food snacks and a beer. To find it, go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and TuneIn Radio. No excuses to these sites. You must go. And to find out whence the evil comes from, go online and look at totallyinsanetapepro.com. <laughs> Join Josh Armour and Todd Eastman every Friday for Wrestle Radio Australia. Covering WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor and Australian Pro Wrestling. Exclusive interviews including Buddy Murphy, Adam Pearce, TV legend Rose McManus and many others. Download for free on iTunes or Stitcher and stream us on the TuneIn Radio app. It's Australia's wrestling broadcast. It's Wrestle Radio Australia. Come on, dude. supposed to be recording like half hour ago stood around like some sort of fucking lemon waiting for him got my notes I've actually prepared this week I'm not having to rely on him let's have a look out the window is it around I can see there's no one oh here he is oh, hang on yep here he is coming up the stairs do 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 oh Bully where did you get that yes. t-shirt you you sexy pig I've never found you so attractive Dave, I've never felt more attractive than while wearing this t-shirt. It says, got milking it. That's right, milking it merch is now available. You can have Boulamont and Dave Davis across your chest 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and it's all available via a link on the milkingitpodcast.com. Milkingitpodcast.com. I also hear they sell mugs so I can have your hot liquid tipped into my mouth. Whenever you want. <laughs> Stand aside, boo. Let me do that keyboard. I'm going to do some shopping. So, you've heard the music that makes us tick, but what makes us laugh? Uh, we had a good discussion uh, around sort of episode 23, 24, I think, uh, where we talked about our favourite sitcoms of all time, and this is what you're going to hear right now. So that was this week's stroll through the week of Geek, but we're not done. Oh no, heaven forbid we let you go so early. This week has been a little bit different. Sometimes uh, a man stirs up controversy, and I seem to have done that via the milkingitpodcast.com. Um, there was a, a trailer that I posted up there for the Inbetweeners movie. It's the second Inbetweeners movie. Um, they put the first teaser online. I thought innocently oh I'll, I'll sling this up on the uh, the milkitpodcast.com and see what people think are they excited are they bothered you know it has the in between has had its day as i think it might well have done and underneath it 
someone else posted a comment, then someone else posted a comment, then we got into a conversation, and then I made some sly remark about a, another sitcom that used to exist. So basically, Boo challenged us to uh, to our top five sitcoms, and we're going to have a sitcom off. Um, no one's going to be a winner out of this, apart from the people listening, because basically what we're going to do is end up suggesting 20 sitcoms. There may be some overlap, I'm not sure, uh, but we're going to end up suggesting 20 sitcoms that you should go away and you should watch and enjoy and these are the things that have inspired us and probably most of them are the reason why we're here today chit-chatting to you and and trying to be quote-unquote funny uh is, is because of these these particular sitcoms and and the way that they're done so um i can't really explain it too well but i know someone who can so to start us off and first up is dino peppers the man who puts the art in smart mark he is going to do uh, for us his top five and also explain a little bit of why we got into this situation hey everybody A few days ago, the new trailer for the second in between his movie dropped, and it caused a small discussion on the Milk and It podcast Facebook page about sitcoms. This all stemmed from Mr. Davies' comment <coughs> Well, at least it's not Red Dwarf. <laughs> well, as a proud dwarf, I felt the need to stick up for my besmirched friend and ask, Tell me you didn't just say that. <coughs> This ended up with the powers of B deciding that a top 5 sitcom list must be compiled to decide the best of all time, or at least the best of all time where Milking It podcast hosts are concerned. Now as much as I love Red Dwarf, it's actually at number 5 on my list, mainly for the latest seasons being a bit ropey. I'm not sure I'm a fan of sitcoms lasting a long time, and if I was to list all my favourites over the years, I think most would have ended after 2 or 3 seasons or series, as the British call them. With Red Wolf, I like the situation the characters were placed in. I like comedy, and I like a bit of science fiction, but sitcoms in space are few and far between, and not many really get the balance of science fiction and comedy right. With Red Wolf, they built themselves around bottle episodes, which when placed in a universe where they were supposedly entirely alone really showed up the fertility and pointlessness of people's actions and posts. The characters Arnold Rimmer and Dave Lister helped further juxtapose these ideas, one having grand ideas to get ahead in life, and one not caring about anything that's their personal happiness. But they both ended up in the same hopeless situation in life, no matter how much effort they put into it. The additional characters that surround them help push the stories around, but it's their show, really. Will they get home? Why don't they get home? Who this make cares? As I mentioned, later series start to get ropey and they lose their way a little. The most recent series I felt was a return to form somewhat. Maybe just because they tried to do less and return to those early bottle-type episodes. From outer space, we go to Craggy Island, and the parochial home of Father Ted. Father Ted is a mid-90s classic by Arthur Matthews and Graham Linham, turning that almost believable experts of trio priests living together on a remote island. Almost believable because now I've seen a few Irish news reports in the area of It focused on the titular character, Father Ted. <coughs> and his companions, Father Dougal Maguire and Father Jack Hackett, in their day-to-day struggles of saying mass and entering the Eurovision Song Contest. They were assisted by a stream of over-the-top comedic characters like Mrs Doyle and Bishop Brennan, who served to hamper Ted's chances of making money, becoming famous, or even staying sane. This show is a great example of alternative and surreal humour which can go wrong so easily. Why I like it? 
it's funny in a really simple way. It seems to set up much like an extended sketch comedy show. So it sets up and hits the punchline you expect, but with a little twist here and there. It's light on character development, but there are scenes where you can tell the characters, no matter how mad, crazy, or drunk they are, really care about each other. The show only lasted three seasons, which is one more than the writers apparently like writing. And the last episode featured the last recorded performance of star Dermot Morgan, who sadly died a day after the series had finished shooting. Then Hannah Matthews' other shows, Black Books and Night Crowd, in a similar vein of returns to humour, are definitely worth checking out. But Father Ted for me is the greatest. Next on the list will divide people somewhat. There's one group of people who think Ricky Gervais is a comedy genius, and those that think he's a cunt. Me, I love his stuff. Way back when, we used to have an hour or two on XFM radio, and I always used to tune in, and I followed his career all the way. So when he made The Office, I was well accustomed to this style of humour, and I ate it up. This show really changed the format of sitcoms, from the stale gag every three lines that have been beaten to death by American sitcoms over the years, and introduced the cringe laugh. Yes, it's been played to death more than Del Boy falling through the bar, but the David Brent dance pushed that whole concept to the limit by drawing you into the scene and making you think how uncomfortable it is and how funny the story will be later on when we tell it to someone else. The characters in the show range from the ridiculously uncalled boss David Brent, army nut who can catch monkey if you ask them to Gareth, to the everyday people you can relate to, Dawn and Tim, whose will they won't they get his own relationship possibly struck calls with more people than they are willing to admit when it comes to having a thing for their girl in the office and then being brutally shot down in the worst possible way in front of everybody. The show lasted two seasons and had two Christmas specials, which wrapped the show's stories up nicely with everyone getting the happy ending they deserve, even if it was just being accepted for the loser they are. The show spawned a spin-off in the American office, which lasted a lot longer, but in my opinion really didn't get the humour right. Gervais himself went on the right and starring lovey-tastic in-joke extras, which is worth a watch, and Derek, which I'm not sold on but seems to be quite popular. The longest running sitcom in my list here yeah, is an all-time classic, running for what seems like forever. Cheers told the exploits of the employees and clientele of a Boston bar over 11 award-winning seasons. If I'm honest, if you don't know what Cheers is, you're dead to me. Why I love it, it started three years after I was born, and as such has always been on TV. Even though some episodes are admittedly turkeys, just the music alone puts me in a special place reminding me of when I used to watch it, way past my usual bedtime on a Friday night. You got the coach years versus the Woody years, or the Diane years versus the Rebecca years, it doesn't really matter to me. Just the opening piano notes being played make me feel warm. Now on to the final what I consider to be the best sitcom ever in IMO, as the kids say. This is something which often gets overlooked by people when it comes to compiling lists of greatest sitcoms ever, because it didn't get a spin-off series, it didn't make tons of cash on merchandise sales, and it never spawned a much loved catchphrase. What it did give us though were the films Shaun of Dead, Hot Fires and The World's End and the careers of the writers and stars Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright and Nick Frost. Yes, my all-time favourite sitcom is Space. A show which featured more film references and homages than you could shake a lightsaber at, and more in-jokes and easter eggs that give repeat viewings and must, just so you can spot them all. 
had more to get to the end. Why I like it. It doesn't stick to the norms of sitcoms. It doesn't have a theme tune. They don't have a laugh track. The characters all have layers to them that aren't bound to the usual worn-out sitcom tropes you get trotted out in the posh school situation. The main characters, Tim and Davey, although have that chemistry and relationship with a long-married couple, never crossed the dreaded line of being in a relationship. And in the show ends, they still remain friends. It's all about boring stuff that goes on in life. Doing the job, going out for drinks, playing paintball. It's a life of a normal person made to look more fun by framing it within film and TV references. As someone who grew up watching a lot of films and TV, I got the jokes and see myself within these characters. There's nothing flashy or over top about them, but they make it funny by comparing a day out playing paintball to a scene from the Vietnam War movie, or clashing a teenager's party like they're an alien rifle. And yeah, modern artists and modern art fans are a bunch of fucking zombies that need to be wiped off the face of the planet. Or at least smacked in the face. Well, that's my list. I'll no doubt post something on my blog about it for you to read, even if it's just the script I'm reading from, with some YouTube clips. That blog is available at asiatopcomics.com, the home of really mature comic books. See ya. It's not finished! It's finished! Nice little plug there at the end, Dean. Um, so those were Dean's top five. Very interesting and also a bit more background as to why we're doing this. Um, I think we should now pass the baton to uh, to the man whose bollocks uh, we're pleased to see every week. Uh, Jay, why don't you tell us about your favourite sitcoms? Well, what a bloody hard this this was to work out. There's been so many classic sitcoms throughout the ages. But I'm afraid and I'm a bit of a Johnny contemporary with sitcoms. There's nothing in my list that comes from the golden age. I still watch the likes of Forty Towers, Sergeant Bilko, Hancock's Half Hour and Steptoe and Son, but in my opinion, much of the 60s and 70s fair have been surpassed by the upstarts. I know I'm probably talking in a field of one here, but the open all hours special that aired at Christmas was as funny as finding a used condom in a shop-bought sandwich to me. And the David Beckham Only Fools and Horses skit during comic relief this year was like trying to find humour in the colour beige. I hate the familiarity of the early evening sitcom. Last of the Summer Wine was always defended by its fans for not having to resort to swearing. No, but it did always have to resort to slapstick rolling down hills in various contraptions as the episode's punchline. Not funny at all. Great progressive comedy should be witty, should challenge, should be intelligent. Incidentally, Monty Python and Brassside would be in here for me if it was all comedy shows and not just sitcoms. And also, I must say that honourable mentions do go out to Spaced, The Young Ones, Alan Partridge and The League of Gentlemen. Number five, The Simpsons. We are, of course, talking series three to eleven here. The characters have worn themselves in by now like a comfortable pair of slippers and the scripts were as perfect as any animated show has attained before or after. Has there ever been a greater comedic creation than Homer J. Simpson? Nope, there hasn't been. Number four, Black Books. Graham Linehan is a phenomenally successful master of blending the surreal into the mundane. IT crowd, Father Ted, Arthur Strong and Big Train ruled his babies and he contributed to, the many, to many sketch shows such as Brass Eye. He even created the unforgettably awkward characters Ted and Ralph for the fast show. Graham Linehan is a genius because he understands better than most that the two most important aspects of comedy are understanding people and understanding humour. 
This 18 episode series was undoubtedly his peak. The three main characters existed in an almost 70s sitcom world, mainly shot in the single location of Grumpy Bernard Black's Scruffy Book Emporium. And this is turned constantly on its head by regular trips into the land of the absurd. Bottles of wine are turned into boozy lollies, scrambled egg is scooped out of shoes using combs, and pineapples are obviously and undoubtedly from space. If Linehan hadn't so effectively grasped the nettle of sitcom tropes, these elements would be tiresome. As they stand, they're complete genius. Number 3. Blackadder The addition of Ben Elton to the writing team in the second series was a masterstroke. The roles of the dumb Blackadder and his smart sidekick Baldrick were reversed. But one thing remained. Blackadder's insatiable selfishness and his constantly thwarted attempts to better himself. Smarmy, witty and utterly loathsome, Rowan Atkinson's turn as the eponymous slimeball is a wonderfully foul creation. He took sarcasm to levels never before reached. If someone says that sarcasm is the lowest form of wit, please point them in the direction of Edmund Blackadder. Number two, Frasier. Farce, high farce, 22 episodes of it a series. For 11 series? How could that possibly work? Well, against all odds, it does. The snobby bickering one-upmanship of the Crane Brothers saw Frasier reach far higher heights of comedy than its forebear, the still excellent Cheers. If you want to see Fast done badly, please refer yourself to Keeping Up Appearances. Hyacinth Bouquet was a similarly pompous creation, but her shtick of a weakly befuddled hide behind a bush so the vicar doesn't see her covered in mud lacks the identifiable warmth of its American counterpart. You really rooted for Frasier and Niles to find love and success, even if most of the time they're horrendous stuck-up twats. Why? Because they were likeable. Against all odds, they were likeable. And that's how the series worked. Friends may have been more popular, especially in the UK, but Frasier was the better sitcom, by some distance. Number one, Peep Show. The awkward comedy of Alan Partridge in The Office were obviously quite influential to this, my favourite comedy series of all time. But that does peep show an enormous disservice. The original concept of actually experiencing these situations from a first-person perspective and hearing the character's internal thoughts sounds incredibly gimmicky. But it's supremely effective. Mark and Jeremy are self-serving, emotionally stunted, pathetic, and just plain horrible people. But worse than that, they're us. They're you and I. They think how we think. They may seem over the top, and sure, some of the thoughts and situations they get themselves in are exaggerated, but ultimately, those selfish, dark thoughts are the things we all have, and they're expertly written. This would never achieve the ratings of the likes of Only Fools, because it does the exact opposite of what most people want from a sitcom, escapism, escapism from themselves. The real gimmick of Peep Show is not the first-person perspective, but it turns the awkward comedy back onto its viewer. Your average Joe wants comfort telly, but when has a duvet ever made you feel awkward and laugh like a hyena at the same time? It's groundbreaking stuff. And there's no doubt, in my mind, that it's the best television sitcom of all time. And that's my list. Good. Interesting choices there from Jay, and definitely a few that are on my list. Um, I, shall, shall, shall I, uh, I think I'm going to go into it now, Dave. Basically, um, 
I love sitcoms. I'm going to start by saying that now. I've been a big fan of sitcoms um, since since I can remember. In fact, my first memory, believe it or not, this is actually my first, honest to God, my first memory is of a sitcom starring Jane Curtin called Kate and Ally from, 19, from the very, very early 1980s. I don't know if you remember that. They used to show it on Channel 4, and it's literally the first TV theme and the first kind of name of a show that I could remember from my childhood. Unbeknownst to me that years later, Jane Curtin would play another huge influence, not just on my choices of sitcoms, but in comedy in general. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of sitcoms, so for me, this list was painful because of the 30 or so sitcoms that have influenced my life, I had to narrow it <laughs> down to five. So, talking to Kate and Ali and the wonderful Jane Curtin, uh, I suppose I'll start with my number five, which also stars, as mentioned earlier, a fantastic actor by the name of John Lithgow. Also introduced the world to the young man known as John Gordon Levitt, the boy that would go on to star in The Dark Knight Rises, amongst other things. Um, and also starring French Stewart about a family of aliens that crash lands onto the planet Earth, um, and that is Third Rock from the Sun. Just such an influential, mm. feel-good, great, just bit of comedy. It ran from 1996 to 2001, so pretty much from my teens to my late, to my kind of early early uh, 20s just loved everything about this show it, it, it was also part of my i was a big fan of wrestling in the very very early 2000s and lo and behold who should be a regular guest star in it but the ninth one of the world china um oh, yeah. You know, yeah i'd forgotten china was it was in that that's insane yes completely. she yes she was harry's uh, harry's love interest mm. quite a bit just as i said just a great show very influential you had the, the the wonderful Jane Curtin, who obviously came from the previously mentioned Kate and Ali, mm-hmm. and Bully's favourite Saturday Night Live, um, uh, one of the original Saturday Night Live cast members. Just so much fun, this show. Um, such a great concept. I remember actually seeing it the first time and not... I hadn't... I kind of came in in the middle of an episode, and um, it wasn't clear for the first kind of ten minutes I was watching that these people were aliens. I just thought they were really weird humans. And I just thought, this is so wacky. What is this? And then it was Third Rock from the Sun. I was like, oh, Earth. Oh, oh, it's a space thing. And, I mean, the guest stars over time, it eventually ended up with William Shatner being the big giant head, who was um, kind of <laughs> was the, 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 people, the person in charge of their, of their planet, their home planet. Um, I was gutted when it ended. It had a bit of a strange ending as well because they just leave Earth. That's it. They just kind of leave. And, and, and that is the end. Bit of a disappointing ending, but um, just brought me so many years of laughter, and uh, he's definitely one that I'll always hold dear. French Stewart's not a particularly funny man, but um, <laughs> it's easily the best thing he's done, and just the cast were all just on top of him. So uh, my number five, David, is Third Rock from the Sun. Furthermore, when coupons arrive in the mail, I get first dibs. <laughs> I may open a box of cereal to get the prize, but I do not then have to eat the cereal. (laughs) The bathroom has been stocked with two kinds of toilet paper. I and I alone get the quilted kind. (laughs) You will go to a barber. I will go to a stylist. Now, but wait, wait, wait. wait. We have so much more hair than you. You'll never mention that again. Okay, um... (laughs) 
I, I, looking at my list and, and hearing the other two guys do theirs, I'm quite unusually, I have no US comedies in my list, which is not to say I'm not a fan of US sitcoms, but... <sighs> Again, the same as you said, this is probably the hardest list I've ever had to compile. Even when we, looking back on previous shows, when we've done like our top five uh, wrestling matches at WrestleMania, or we did our like top five uh, kids cartoon series and this, that, and the other. This has been more difficult than anything I've ever looked at. And I've got some honourable mentions later on, but I'm, I'm going to stick with the five that when I look at my DVD shelves, I've still got them. I've I've bought so much comedy over the years, um, but I've gradually got rid of stuff as I've moved houses and, and moved around the country and everything else. These are the ones that I would never give up. These are the ones that I, I had on VHS and then bought again on DVD. And if they ever released on Blu-ray, I'd probably be naive enough to pick them up again. So anyway, flouncing around out the way, my number five um, is Bottom. So... Originally uh, from the BBC Two, uh, it's 91 to 95. So you're looking at me between the ages of 11 and 15, which is probably the perfect age for something like Bottom because it is ridiculous and crude and rude and wonderful. Um, it's It was Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail as the characters Rich and Eddie. Um, it's the two flatmates living on the dole in Hammersmith. Um, there was only three series. Like Dean said, most of my choices didn't run much beyond three series. I think that's quite important for a comedy. Um, other than probably Will and Grace, which is a, an honourable mention, I haven't watched stuff. Oh, do you know? Sorry, I hadn't. I hadn't written out my list, and I actually liked Will and Grace, um, specifically for the uh, for the bitchy little lady, Karen. That's the one. Mm. Love that. Her and Jack. Karen and Karen and Jack were one of the funniest creations from sitcom ever. There's going to be a clip put in right here. We are all here for you, okay? Right, Karen? Why wasn't I your girlfriend, queer bait? <laughs> what? You told your mother that Grace was your girlfriend. How could you? Karen, I didn't even know you when I made up that lie. Oh, yeah? Well, when you met me, then you should have broken up with her and hooked up with me. You're married. I'm gay. Not in the lie. <laughs> Boo and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, our relationship is much like that. I'm not going to tell the Milksters which one is which. So, but anyway, getting back to bottom. So it was Rich and Eddie, uh, Rick Merrill and Adrian Edmondson. Um, just slapstick humour, nihilistic, chaotic. It came about because they'd done a version of Waiting for Godot, uh, the, the Beckett play in the West End, and they, they got together during the production of that and said this would be great as a sitcom. So essentially, you're watching the crudest version of Waiting for Godot, one of the most wonderful theatre pieces of all time. No, not at I all. I had no idea that they, they they were, both of them were in a production yeah. of Waiting yeah. for Godot. Yeah, they, they, they starred together in the West End uh, in 1991 uh, in Waiting for Godot. So uh, they, they took that and they Created Bottom, which um, there's there's been various spin-off series in terms, well, not series, uh, like spin-off shows in terms of like live shows, and they they were writing a series called Hooligans Island, which was going to be like a follow-up, and they both decided, you know what, we just need to leave it here because we're not um, going to improve on the. Original. I actually heard, sorry to interrupt, to interject. I heard that Aid Edmondson said he will always be my best friend. However, Rick Mail is an ass to work with. 
which is why which is why he's actually um, they kind of called it a day. As far as I was aware, there were three completed episodes script wise for yeah. the Hooligans Island spin off. Yes, yeah, I mean they they got to the point where they were like doing their meetings to write it and planning it and everything else in 2012, and they just they both walked away from it for various reasons. And yeah, like you say, um, Aid's been quoted as saying that that Rick's a very difficult man to work with. Rick Mail for me is one of my heroes. Um, but yeah, so Bottom is my number five in my uh, my sitcom top five. So, and I would urge anyone if you haven't had a chance to watch it, please go back and watch it. If the only thing you watch is the Christmas special that they did, purely for the line vodka margarine. <laughs> would you like one spud or two? <laughs> no. No. Would you like one potato or two? Two. <laughs> You've been drinking, haven't you? How dare you! How dare you accuse me of drinking the ninja? Me, your oldest pal and matey, old skip, old bus for tram ticket, one for the road, bag of scratching. We'll keep a welcome in the day parking, Mr. David Childish Jensen. Me, drinking in an inch? Why, I'll tear you limb from limb. <laughs> No, but you have, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Hi, right, Dave. Uh, my number four is a show that's already been mentioned, so I'm not going to go into a massive amount of detail about it, but it is important, therefore it needs mention. Um, my number four is, uh, as previously mentioned by Mr Dino Peppers, is Spaced, uh, starring Nick Frost, Simon Pegg and Jessica Stevenson. Um, <clears throat> a few things that he didn't mention was that the supporting cast, everyone's kind of gone on to bigger things. Mm. Uh, obviously, Simon Pegg, has gone um, has gone on to play Scotty in the Star Trek reboots. Mm. That's a reboot shoot material right there. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, all of the original team that includes Edgar Wright, who produced and directed many of the episodes of Space. Yeah. Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have all gone on to make the now infamous Cornetto trilogy. If you haven't seen uh, Shaun of the Dead, if you haven't seen Hot Fuzz or The World's End, um, I highly recommend you track this down. It is a trilogy that is truly delightful. Um, and uh, the last one in particular, The World's End, you can just see how much these guys have improved, not just as actors, but as filmmakers and makers of entertainment in general. So my number four is Spaced. Okay. Yeah, like you say, um, very influential. Uh, would definitely be one of my honourable mentions. This is Mike. Why? He's my best friend. Mike's just got back into the Territorial Army. He got chucked out because he nicked a tank and tried to invade Paris. My number four is probably the very definition of a guilty pleasure for me. Um, it's, I'm almost ashamed to say this, which is quite bad, but because it, it just fits every stereotype. Uh, my number four is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. Um, if you're not aware of it, 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 again, it only ran for three series, uh, 99 to 2001. It was written by Jonathan Harvey, who wrote Beautiful Thing, one of the best stage plays and one of the greatest films that you'll watch about uh, the coming out experience. Um, it was developed with Kathy Burke. She stars in it. She's wonderful in it. It's one of the best things that she's ever done. And she's done some amazing things, you know, as a director, as a producer, as an actress. 
Um, Gimme 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 is basically uh, Kathy Burke and James Dreyfus. Uh, they live together in in a flat. Again, it's it's maybe I'm just obsessed with people who live together in a flat. I'm not sure. Um, but so uh, James Dreyfus is a very uh, extremely gay stereotype in the sort of flouncing uh, way that we were used to in the 70s. But it's kind of a, a traditional twist on the odd couple. It's got that sort of humour from innuendo. There's some wonderful lines in it where the, the humour comes from those two just bitching it out between them. Um, it's it's filthy, it's funny, it's just good fun. And I, I genuinely think it stands up. And uh, this little clip will explain exactly why. Oh, I was born to be in a West End musical, you know. I almost was the dresser in Limit. Oh, but you see, Tom, the most important thing is, can you sing? Can I sing? Can I sing? Of course I can bloody sing! I was head chorister at Our Lady of the Wrap Over Blouse. It was my first taste of the limelight. Oh, they were halogen days. Oh, shut up! My new best friend needs more wine. Oh, God! There was that musical, wasn't there? You know, where he changed the water into wine? And he was really famous, and he had a rock group or something. Oh, Jesus, what was he called? <laughs> And Christ, I'll remember it in a minute. There we go. <laughs> there we go. See, that that, that, that to me is good humour. That is, is, is stereotypical, yet fun. Like I say, a, a complete guilty pleasure. So my number four is Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. Check it out if you get a chance. So uh, I also thoroughly enjoyed Gimme, Gimme back in the day, Dave. I was sharing a room with my brother then. I won't tell you which brother it was. I can guess. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yes, um, we used to love Gimme, Gimme. Uh, Kathy Burt was fantastic. In fact, oh. I remember James Draper specifically... From another sitcom starring Rowan Atkinson, which was the Thin, the thin Blue, Blue Line. Line, yes, where yeah. he played written the same character. Yeah. Sorry, written by Ben Elton, totally. Oh. Um, where he was playing the same character, but not gay. He was in love with the uh, with uh, Officer Habib, who was the oh, Indian goodness, uh, lady. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I used to love Gimme Gimme um, just because it's just so outlandish. She's she's obviously in love with the black man upstairs um, <laughs> yes. and always bites them both downstairs to try and seduce him. Just a really funny show. Um, not even mean-spirited. It's just funny. And um, Kathy Burke, she is always good. Always good. I, so I'm with you there, mate. Gimme Gimme's not a bad show at all. Definitely, definitely. Uh, like I say, if you get a chance, check it out because it's, um, it, it, it's one of the few ones as well that... It, it doesn't really date because the, the, it's just two people taking the piss and slagging each other off, which is just that's my that's my ideal evening in. <laughs> uh, so we're on to number three, sir. What oh. are you presenting at number three? Dave, um, let me just give you a bit of background to my number three choice here. You see, the other day on Facebook, a man gave an opinion so controversial that it made the first episode of Heil Honey, I'm Home from the 1990s look like the most successful TV series of all time. Dave, my number three mm. is the sci-fi sitcom classic The Red Dwarf. Um, <laughs> from 1988 to present day, the crew of The Red Dwarf have kept me laughing non-stop apart from one series, which counts as a miniseries, so it doesn't count. Um, I love Red <laughs> Dwarf. I love Red Dwarf. I think the first five series right. in particular are some of the best and most rewatchable TV in existence. Um, for the two or three people who listen to this show by accident who aren't really geeks or into anything good and have no idea what Red Dwarf is, Red Dwarf is the story of Dave Lister, the last human being alive, um, kept alive for millions of years in status for a smuggling account aboard the mining ship Red Dwarf. Uh, awakened millions of years later to find he is the last human. Uh, his only companions are a hologram of the most anal man in history, Mr. Arnold Rimmer. 
uh, and a, a, a creature that evolved from his cat called the cat and a, uh, a troubled mechanoid by the name of Crichton. Um, I can understand what you said, Dave. Mm-hmm. You said at least it's not Red Dwarf. You can't mean it in a tongue-in-cheek way because you are right in saying that the latest series of Red Dwarf are terrible. As I said, the first five series for me are just brilliant. It did start to go downhill. It's continued to go downhill. And as much as it was nice to see the boys back together, mm. the last series was a little bit sad viewing in some aspects because they were trying the same tired jokes to a new audience, and I don't think it worked all the time. There were about two or three standout episodes from the six-episode run. Obviously, Red Dwarf is, is very famous for British people. In America, they actually tried to reboot it. There we go, it's that word again. Twice <laughs> for the Americans. Um, neither time worked out very well. Uh, the only kind of big thing to come out of it was that the the woman that played the computer, Holly, would go on to uh, be in, to, to be the uh, one of the main characters in Frasier. So... Um, she, she found her success elsewhere in another sitcom that was mentioned uh, by Jay. What's not to like about Red Dwarf? It's British, it's sci-fi, it's geeky material, it's got good jokes, it's, a, it's got a good odd couple um, mm. kind of narrative. It's always interesting, and um, I, I've been a fan of the books, the series, just everything they do, so I'm, I'm definitely a dwarfer. So uh, my number three is Red Dwarf. I think, and, and this is where I take the stand, because... I, I, obviously the whole reason we're having this conversation like we said is because I made some flippant remark about Red Dwarf um, it, it would be on my honourable mentions it, it, it's something that I did have on VHS back in the day I was a big fan I would also say that Red Dwarf was the first um, sort of franchise that I realised that you could get geeky t-shirts for like you know I had a Smeghead t-shirt I, we, all had a, we all had a Smeghead you know, t-shirt and, and that was the thing it, it, that the idea of going and getting an autograph from Chris Barry got me to go to my first ever, what we'd now call a con at the time was like a, just a merchandise fair uh, at the NEC. And that got me into the whole sort of geek culture. So it's responsible for me being here now recording this with you because I got sucked into that world of little geeky, wonderful underworld. Oh, this is amazing. We've got these little jokes that we all understand There's this sci-fi. Oh, what's going over there? Oh, it's Farscape. Let's go and watch that for a bit. And, um, but my my comment wasn't meant as an insult at all because I you know I have a lot of respect for the guys who did it. I have a lot of respect for the writing. I think it's still you know, reasonably funny and everything else. My my problem with it was like you say that they had a, a later series that was quite sad to watch because it was like unfortunately it was like I imagine it will be when we watch Ghostbusters three. Um, it's it, it tried to become too much of a sci fi program and not enough of a sitcom. So you'd end up on these weird tangents of sort of parallel physics and everything else. But also it was just, I don't think it stands up in terms of the way it looks. I think things like Red Dwarf, unfortunately, any sci-fi dates very quickly, Um, especially when you look at stuff now that's produced with massive budgets and everything else. And you look back on it, it's the same as if you look at sort of Blake 7 or, you know, The Hitchhiker's Guide and things like that. They date really badly, especially in British TV sense, because... Whereas the States, they'll throw a million dollars an episode. Here, we'd give them 50 quid and try and get them to put some tinfoil on stuff and make it look like it, it was a sci-fi thing. But that's not taken away from how funny it was. I was a big Red Dwarf fan. And like I say, without Red Dwarf, I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you. Wait, I've got something. I'm punching it up. 
fish more for a vessel, maybe some kind of missile. It's impossible to tell at this range. Whatever it is, they clearly have a technology way in advance of our own. So the Albanian State Washing Machine Company. <laughs> Step up the red alert. Uh, sir, are you absolutely sure? It does mean changing the bulb. My number three is as far away from Red Dwarf as you could possibly get. Uh, yours was set in space, sir. Mine is set in Bolton. Uh, number three for me would be Phoenix Knights. Uh, sitcom by Peter Kay. Uh, it was it came from the Peter Kay thing. It was like a one-off episode they did, um, and <laughs> which was uh, based around a character called Brian Potter, who is in a wheelchair and is the owner of the Phoenix Club. Um, Basically, the idea was that it was a northern working men's club. Um, it was the adventures of the people who worked there. It was very, very sort of kitchen sink in terms of not much happened. Uh, the humour came more from the sort of northern quality to it. It may have been a, a bit more of an appeal to me because I was living up in Chester at the time when it came out. And uh, I, I was able to enjoy those wonderful northern accents every single day when uh, when I was going to work. But uh, written by Peter Kay, uh, Neil Fitzmaurice and Dave Spikey. It was broadcast on, on Channel 4 in uh, 2001 2002. There was, again, there's only two series. I still think it's up there with the best sitcoms of all time in terms of the way it's written. I think it, it holds its own against things like Faulty Towers, uh, The Office and stuff like that because there's no laugh track to it. It's just presented in front of you. It's just a, a, a bit farcical, but also just very sweet and whimsical and, and really well done. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that if you've seen Peter Kay do his stand-up, and I know it's not cool to like Peter Kay anymore because, you know, he's, oh, he's sold out. He's, he's, up, he's up there with the sort of Michael McIntyres and people like that, that once they've achieved a certain level of success, um, apparently it's not cool to like them. But I'm, I've always been a Peter Kay fan. I've always enjoyed his stuff. Um, I, I can understand why people do find him annoying, but I think this is an example of just a perfect ensemble piece every single person who's used in in the whole of the, the two series plays their parts wonderfully there's a number of really good stand-ups who are involved in it as well who are people that i'd worked with um and when i was doing stand-up and it was and it was lovely to see them being used so wonderfully uh within this series the, the two series that they that they were part of uh so yeah for me uh, number three if you haven't had a chance to, to, to i'm not sure how it would translate to our milksters that are outside the uk i'd be interested to know whether anyone outside the uk really got involved and enjoyed the phoenix uh, phoenix nights but uh, yeah phoenix nights for me is my number three the only thing i know from phoenix nights was there was a spin-off called max and paddy's road to nowhere and i did actually catch a couple of episodes of that still peter k still very funny and i'm just so that's a spin-off of a spin-off yes yeah spin-off of a spin-off <laughs> um yeah max and paddy's road to nowhere wasn't particularly great it was paddy mcginnis and and, and peter k co-wrote it um, you could tell that it wasn't the same people who were writing it. I think I don't think you can discount in terms of Phoenix Knights the importance of uh, Neil Fitz Fitzmaurice and uh, Dave Spikey, who were both involved in writing it. Uh, they were well well versed stand up comics. They've been around a long time, sort of fifteen years to Peter Kay's five. They trod the boards. They'd done those clubs. They'd had that experience, and it was all the little bits and pieces they built up during that time that actually got thrown in and, and, and were part of Phoenix Knights. Max and Paddy, I think, was more okay we've got to write a new series it's a bit on the fly and it's there were yeah it's it's an awkward series to watch max and paddy but uh, i definitely recommend phoenix knights if you haven't had a chance to watch it then then check it out but uh, yeah yeah phoenix knights is is my number three what do you think jerry 
Can't drink on these tablets. What? What are these for? Remember, you burnt my hand. I didn't, I didn't burn your hand. You burnt your own bloody hand. Eh? Christ. Look at all these, druggy, druggy, druggy. You'll be in the toilets next, snorting Cecil. <laughs> you mean Charlie? What? Charlie. I don't know who he is. I've never met the man. Which moves us on to number two. What's your number two, Mr. Boo? Well, Dave, my number two, um, as already, again, has been mentioned previously in another list uh, on this very episode. But it is one that I go back to and back to and back to, and it's just so watchable. And that is The Black Adder. Just love every series. Um, the, even the first series, which is massively unpopular with a lot of people. For me, it was brilliant because I had Peter Cook in it. Yes. Um, and I'm a big Peter Cook fan, uh, as you can probably tell by my... Uh, Derek and Clive style rant, which you can hear exclusively on the uh, Totally Insane Tape Show, Bob Hoskins special, uh, specifically aimed at one Julia Roberts. Uh, more specifically, <laughs> the movie Pretty Woman. But you can definitely hear that Peter Cook was a bit of an influence um, in in that bit. Um, back to the uh, I'm back to the Blackadder. Um, it's such an important TV series in the UK that I remember specifically one history lesson at school. We were made, not even made to watch, we were honoured to watch the very last episode of series uh, of the fourth series, Black Adder Goes Forth, which is, um, if if you're not aware of the series, each series is set in a different time period, um, and the last one is set during the First World War, Mm. um, and it ends with them going over the wall of the um, trenches um, to fight fight the Germans, and um, unfortunately... Obviously, that the story for many, many people um, during that situation in real life uh, was the same for these characters, and they were gunned down in um, one of the most memorable TV moments ever. The fact that this came out of a, of a uh, comedy as well, I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. The, the fact that the entire episode was played for laughs, and then at the end, silence. Literally, everyone I've ever watched that with, you have to give yourself a good 30 seconds to be able to talk again after the end of the episode. It ends with the most beautiful um, image of the battlefield fading over time and becoming a poppy field. And um, it's a very important moment in TV history. This is off the back of a comedy sitcom about the most acid-tongued man in the history of everything. From from series one to four, the little spin-offs, just everything. Um, the Black Adder Christmas Carol, which is the Christmas Carol story in reverse. It's a story of how a nice person is visited by three <laughs> ghosts and turned into a miser. It is an achievement in television mm-hmm. it's because the first uh, series was quite expensive to make. It was quite a grand piece, and um, it, it just cost too much. They were going to scrap it. So um, the people that wrote the, the series approached the BBC and said, look, we'll do it for half the money. We'll do a second series for half the money, and uh, history was made quite, quite literally. Quite um, literally, yeah. Yes. So uh, my number two pick is Blackadder, starring Rowan Atkinson. Um, just... Just a fantastic show, and um, I, I don't know its popularity outside of England. It should have universal appeal, but um, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Well, your Blackadder memories, Mr. David? I, I again, like you, it, 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 if any sitcom could have fallen at number six in my list, it would have been Blackadder. Uh, it, it's definitely, definitely one that I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed. Not a massive fan of the first series. Uh, I agree. A friend of the show. 
Brian Blessed involved in the uh, the first series. Uh, and like you say, Peter Cook, who, uh, again, I'm a massive Peter Cook fan. Another reason why Boo and I have ended up doing a show together, because we, we share those sort of comedy interests. Um, but yeah, once you get into the sort of second and third series, just wonderful writing, getting Richard Curtis and Ben Alton involved. Um, the fourth season... Oh, season. The first... The fourth series. series, as it's a British production, was without a doubt one of the best sitcoms of all time. Um, it's just the writing is wonderful. It, it's got pathos. It's got nuance. It's just perfect. Um, and like you say, that that final shot. I remember we we also watched it. I remember uh, someone coming into the school when we were doing drama when I was at secondary school, and we watched that as part of our sort of history slash drama moment. And, and yeah, that fade between the field and the poppies is is just one of those sitcom moments where it stops becoming a sitcom and it becomes a comedy drama because you realise the futility of the situation they were in was actually matching what was really going on at the time. Um, yeah, uh, Stephen Fry, wonderful. Hugh Laurie, wonderful in that. And you know, and you can't fault Rowan Atkinson throughout the whole of those. Yeah, Blackadder for me, one of the best. If you haven't had a chance, yet yeah, again, like we say, go out and check them out. There's, there's stuff on YouTube or you know, pick up the DVD, stick on your Netflix, have a look on iPlayer, see what's around. Well worth a watch. I have a plan, sir. Really, Borick? A cunning and subtle one? Yes, sir. As cunning as a fox who's just been appointed Professor of Cunning at Oxford University? <laughs> yes, sir. On the signal, company will advance! Well, I'm afraid it'll have to wait. Whatever it was, I'm sure it was better than my plan to get out of this by pretending to be mad. I mean, who would have noticed another madman around here? Good luck, everyone. Yeah! Um, okay, so to crack on, uh, my number two is a, uh, a sitcom called Early Doors, probably not known by many people outside of the UK. I don't think it, it was particularly uh, successful in terms of the US because it is very nuanced and northern. Um, it's written by Craig Cash and Phil Mealy. Now, Craig Cash was involved in another great sitcom called The Royal Family. He also used to write uh, for Mrs. Merton uh, and a number of other bits and pieces. But uh, so this... This sitcom is uh, set in a pub called The Grapes, which is in Greater Manchester, uh, and it's basically just all about the pub landlord Ken um, and his his daughter Melanie, his bar the barmaid Tanya, who he's got a bit of a crush on. You're not quite sure if there's a bit of a wildy wonty thing, but it, it's the very sort of little nuanced northern humour that is so wonderful about it. And I would urge anyone who hasn't had a chance to see it to to check it out. Um, every single episode I, I, I found out is on YouTube. Um, so you can you can check it out. Uh, it was only it was between two thousand and three two thousand and four. So there's some little bits and pieces in it that haven't particularly aged well as, as sitcoms like that do if they're based on real life. Um, but yeah, definitely check that out. It's called Early Doors, uh, and it is uh, it's not a spin off of the Royal Family, but uh, um, Carolina Hearn um, and Peter Kay both uh, did some sort of script checking for them. So uh, yeah. It, it, it's got that wonderful, wonderful northern humour. So, Early Doors is my number two. Oh, you still have the sickest, Joe. More or less, yeah. You're lying, stud. You've already had a couple in here. Yeah, but I've not had a single one all day. You'll never give up you as long as you've got a hole in your ass. Oh, well. With your balls. You ain't got the willpower. Of course you've got the willpower. Given up a few times, mate. <laughs> Dave... My number one started life as a series of 48 one-minute shorts on British comedian uh, Tracy Ullman's American show, The Tracy Ullman Show. 
It was created by a man called Matt Groening, who uh, had designed The Simpsons after his own family. Well, they got so popular that they got their own series in 1989, and it's been going ever since. It's still my fav- one of my favourite programmes in history to this day, and long may it continue, and that is, of course, my number one, The Simpsons. It's going to be very hard to beat The Simpsons. It's the longest-running scripted TV show in history. Um, there has been a very small amount of my life where The Simpsons didn't exist, so um, it's like they are a second family to me. I would be devastated the day it gets taken off TV. We've come very close a couple of times to The Simpsons actually be taken off. Again, we, we, we chatted about this last week, but unfortunately it didn't take to the recorder. Hmm. So um, I, you were saying, Dave, that you'd heard an interview with Hank Azaria. Uh, no, it was an interview with Harry Shearer. Sorry, Harry yeah. Shearer, of course. Uh, Harry uh, Shearer where... was, was talking about that, yeah. They um, all they wanted uh, the, the Fox wanted to pay them less and less per episode, and all they asked for in return was a little cut of the merchandise. To which Fox said no. So they all went back and just uh, did the show. There was a point where I was ready to support. I, I mean, I would always support the cast. They bought me so many years of entertainment that if they wanted to end it because they feel they weren't being given their due, then that's fine. I respect that completely. Yes. They brought so much joy to so many people for so many years. I'm very glad they worked it out. It's still here today. It's still on every Sunday. In fact, we were talking about it earlier because there's still episodes to come. We've got the Family Guy crossover. We've got the Futurama crossover. Long may Homer's reign as king of the sitcoms continue. So my number one has to be The Simpsons. Well, I think it's wonderful that your father has fallen in love with my mother. Well, I'm opposed to the whole thing. Damn opposed. He's damn opposed. Damn, damn, damn opposed. Bart. What possible reason could you have against Grandpa being in love? If he marries your mother, Marge, we'll be brother and sister. And then our kids, they'll be horrible freaks with pink skin, no overbites, and five fingers on each hand. Okay, so, yeah, my my number one... Um, now, for me, it, it is mainly because, you know, as a... I kind of approach things as a, as a comedy writer. Um, I, I flatter myself that I'm a comedy writer. Um, but for me, some of the best writing that i've seen in a sitcom in years is the one that i choose at number one um my number one is the thick of it um i came to it very late i came to it after it had finished so the the last episode was broadcast in october 2012 i'd seen nothing of this series i'd heard about it people had sort of chit-chatted about it. it it became a bit of a comedian's comedian kind of idea of all people who are in the business like it and yada 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 it's very clever and you'll like you'll like it because it's, uh, it's Armando Anucci and I'd like to stuff with Time Trumpet and I'd like to stuff with the, the day-to-day um but this is without a doubt one of the best series if not the best which is why it's at my number one even though we did say last week this is a really difficult sort of <laughs> a difficult list to, to make us uh, it's comedy and but it's uh, it's all about the the British government. It's all about a, a character who is one of the best creations ever, called Malcolm Tucker, played by Peter Capaldi, who uh, most of our milksters will know is going to be the new Doctor Who, uh, which is a very very different <laughs> character than he was playing in this. Never has a man used swear words in such a beautiful manner. Um, absolutely wonderful um they did do a spin-off uh, in terms of uh, a couple of specials there's like there's two proper series and then there's two series which are kind of specials they also did in the loop which was the sort of film version um and it's 
I, I honestly cannot recommend it enough. If you enjoy just well-written, smart, intelligent comedy, if you enjoy people swearing, then definitely check out my number one of my sitcom top five, which is The Thick of It. Let's hear a bit of swearing. I'm sorry, Malcolm. I'm really sorry. Fuck's sake, Jesus! Right! Well, now I've got another fucking adjective to add to fucking smug and glum, haven't we? Fucking retarded! Jesus Do you not think it would be germane to check who you're talking to? It's a fucking newspaper office. It's not a fucking sanatorium for the fucking deaf, is it? Are you so dense? I'm not going to have to run around slapping badges on people with a big tick on some and a big cross on others so you know when to shut your gob and when to open it. Jesus Christ. Well, that'll probably confuse you as well, won't it? That'll be too confusing. You'll see the cross and go, oh, fuck, X marks the spot. Better tell this little person all about the Prime Minister's fucking catastrophic erectile dysfunction. Oh, but not to worry. Not to worry. You've sent fucking Ollie over there to deal with it. Fucking Ollie! He's a fucking, he's a fucking knitted scarf at twice. A fucking balaclava. So that was episode 33, a best of episode of the Milking It podcast. All that is left for me to say is thank you very much for listening. Uh, new listeners, thank you for joining us. Hope you stick around. Check out themilkingitpodcast.com. That's milkingitpodcast.com for all the information about upcoming episodes and stuff in the Milking It multiverse. Um, join Boo with his partner, Mr. Dino Peppers, uh, for the Totally Insane Tape Show, uh, a tape show that goes up. It's reviews of the stuff that's good, stuff that's bad, stuff that's indifferent. Um, there's an interesting episode of the three of us talking as we prepared a very special episode for the Nottingham Comic Con which as I mentioned at the beginning we are at on Saturday the 4th of October so get down there see all the special guests like I say over 150 exhibitors there Q&A sessions they've got a raffle going on there is loads of stuff happening it's in Nottingham Saturday the 4th of October go to nottinghamcomiccon.co.uk for your tickets please come and say hello if you've if you've heard this and you, you, you've listened to the Milking Podcast or you've listened to the Totally Insane Tape Show please come along say hi we're going to be interviewing guests we're going to be walking around chit-chatting to people that are just visiting we are going to be talking to everyone we possibly can and there will be a special live episode the first ever live face-to-face episode of the Milking It Podcast happening happening there at the Nottingham Comic Con. So come see history created in front of your very eyes. Um, as always, thank you very much to my partner, Boo Lamont, who again hasn't been here, but he will be here next week as we take a proper old stroll through the Wiki of Geeky. Uh, thank you to Dino Peppers for the artwork that you see on your iPod or Android or wherever you download us. Thank you, as always, to Jay. You've heard him a couple of times today uh, <laughs> chipping in with his, uh, with his contributions. Um, thank you very much to John Sands for the marvellous music that you can hear underneath me now. And I'm going to play out out with the full version of the brand new Milking It podcast theme. It's Milk It by John Sands. Thank you for listening because after all, if you didn't, we wouldn't bother. Thanks. See you next week. You've got the room coming down I've got the feeling you've been around There's a hole in your head the size of a nuclear bomb Got the feeling, got the feeling.